Hello, and welcome to the Space Cave. I'm David Huntsberger, a big warg to all of you Spaceburgers out there. And thanks for joining in for part two. This chat, uh, Kale Bittner had to go, as you probably heard at the end of part one. So this is just me and the brewmaster of Iron Triangle Brewing, Josiah Blumquist, in the back, in the belly of the beast, so to speak. I posted some images he was nice enough to give me a little bit of a tour and show me all of their process. It's incredible. So perhaps I'll include some of that uh, in the Patreon or something like that if you're interested in seeing a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff. Anyway, here's part two with a bunch of great beer from Iron Triangle. So the, okay, let me get a little more of this. Now we'll move so on with this, um, I'll tell you a little bit about what's in this beer. Um, skin Arts are uh, our two-row base malt, um, and then we'll have... A pretty big fat chunk of dark Munich, which is where you get a lot of that kind of savory, nutty flavor from. What what would that be? Like if I were to say dark Munich, is that a, what is that? So Munich uh, Munich malt is a style of malt um, where part of the malting process is that it's stewed uh, before it's killed, and so you get um, this very intense malt, malty, melanoidin based flavor. So melanoidin is also um, it's another buzzword. Uh, melanoidin. It's uh, kind of that the uh, the savory uh, flavor you get from like toasted bread, toasted bread crust. Okay, it's about to get loud for a moment. That's okay. Ah, that's not too bad. Sorry, we got a, we got a band in the bar tonight. Yeah, yeah. I like that the ambiance we're hearing is sort of the this is is typical. This is a, an Iron Triangle evening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, so yeah, the the dark Munich. That's where you get a lot of like kind of the baseline savoriness. Uh, maltiness, and then you know we have a little bit of crystal malt, which mm-hmm. is um, uh, medium medium crystal malt. Which you know they basically take the malt, convert all the sugar inside the kernel, then toast it to various levels of darkness. Uh, so this one's like right in the middle, and then to round it out, we have uh, some flaked barley, which is kind of a non-traditional lager ingredient. Oh, really? So is that, where, where do you get the idea to do that? You know, hey, I think some flaked barley would go nice here. Uh, for protein, because I'm also a big, uh, not, I'm not only a big water nerd, I'm also a big foam nerd. Um, so the proteins are what give you that, that cool so the extra, foamy the head. extra protein in there will give you like some really nice, uh, nice foam characteristics. Yeah. Cool. Man, I mean, <clears throat> to just go from home brewing and doing it as a way to like stay out of trouble to then be <laughs> so, does it feel like it's a, is there a terminal aspect to it? Like, okay, I know all the mixtures and components in chemistry, or is it endless? Is it an infinite thing? Yeah, it's, it's pretty much endless. Um, one of the things that I like explaining homebrewing as a hobby to people is, like, you can enjoy it at any level. Uh, you can be your most basic small pot extract brewer, make some good beer, have a good time, or you can be that super ultra nerd that goes deep, deep, deep down and still have a good time. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, there, it depends on how you want to how you want to do it. Like I, I, I went the super technical route. Um, yeah. Just cause that was more fun to me. I love, you know, love reading and learning. Um, but if you don't want to do that, you just want to have some fun and make beer. You can make great beer and not think about it as much. <laughs> <laughs> 
We, uh, or I guess I, on the show had a um, a fellow home brewer, and I, my girlfriend and I have only done it a couple times, and to varying results, and we're we're trying to avoid going down the technical route because both of us feel like it would get a little too compulsive. It has the t- you can, it can definitely take over your entire life, which is what <laughs> happened to me. So, be but careful. in the best way, like it's become <laughs> a full fledged career. It's cool. With us, it was like, yeah, if that if that happens, that might not be the most productive thing but <laughs> this other guy that came in is a, a good friend of mine and, and a good his beers are good and he was like dude i, I think you can just kind of lay back you know like i do fermentation this way because i was like i think you gotta this exact day get, you know go from primary to secondary and he was like i just leave it all in and then i bottle from there and i got an email from someone afterward that was like whew that was hard for me to listen to because I, I think you got to do this and this and this and your sugars are critical and this temperature thing is critical and. Well, I would kind of fall back onto what I would call the universal um, description of what quality beer is, uh, and that's beer that meets specification. Mm-hmm. If you get the beer that you wanted, it's good. Those are your specs. <laughs> <laughs> Can I drink this? Can it I meets drink my this? Specs. Am I enjoying drinking it? Yes. Okay. This beer is good. <laughs> Which, you know, it's, uh, it can be, you know, subjective, but, you know, that's, that's what I would say. You can make good beer and very ru- with very rudimentary techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make bad beer, um, you know, with very exquisitely complicated techniques. Okay. So. Do you ever get lucky with just the magic of like, whew, this one, I screwed up and I spilled stuff. I dropped one of my hairs in it and it still turned out great. Uh, usually the beers that are the biggest pains in the ass are usually the best ones, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is this one uh, we're going to try in a little bit. Okay. Uh, the Live By Night. Whew, 14%. Good night. Live By Night, good night. 14%. That beer's got a funny story. <laughs> <laughs> but so with the big vats out here... And I'm curious how you guys are separating, how the, uh, they had a, I went to Ninkasi and on their tour they do like a centrifuge. Yeah. Do you guys do that at all? Uh, we don't have a centrifuge. Uh, we're bringing online, uh, a beer filtration process, Mm -hmm. uh, which I'm really excited about. That's going to make, uh, the quality of our beer very, a lot higher. Whoa. Really excited about that. Especially in the, um, in the canned, uh, the canned products. Um, the more of the yeast that you remove, you just get a lot of flavor stability out Mm -hmm. of it. Um, and just the beer's ready quicker and it's better. Nice. So do you, but, but then you <clears throat> typically go primary and then you wait a little bit with your wort. Like how do you have the whole day of brewing? Like when do the sugars go in for an operation this so big? So we'll, um, uh, so we'll crack all of our grain the day before. Uh, and then we come in in the morning and we'll start uh, start mashing in. We have a four vessel system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have our, our mash mash mixer. Uh, mash ton so we'll hydrate all of our grain going into there and then uh, do a step mash um, increasing the uh, the temperature as we go and so that's about an hour and a half until we're ready to um, to pump it over to our lauder ton which has our false bottom and uh, and rakes in it and so we'll pump into there um, get everything all nice and homogenous and you know let it rest for a little bit vorloff uh, or recirculate rather, um, but you're not pulling your malt from that. No, that- malt's all still in there. And then um, after we get uh, that recirculation running clear, then we'll start running it off onto our kettle. Mm-hmm. Um, add kettle full and start our boil and start adding hops, you know, mm-hmm. depending on the beer. 
Um, from there, we'll go over to the the last and fourth vessel, which is the Whirlpool tank. Wait, to go back to your hops, though, yep. with, you know, is it still, like, based on, like, a 60-minute kind of thing, or is it... Most, uh, almost all the beers are 60 minutes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you're adding hops, are you just arbitrarily, or is it, like, let's do... 10 minutes, 42 minutes, exactly 53 minutes and 10 seconds. So our, um, uh, we have a 30 barrel brew house, which is, um, it's a, it's a bit bigger on the, on the craft scale of things. And one of the, again, you know, kind of that, that thing we talked about earlier coming from, you know, different, different breweries and the new breweries and how different they are. Um, the hop utilization in this brewery, meaning, uh, we can get a lot more bitterness extracted from the same amount of hops in a larger brewery in a larger brew house than we can on a smaller one. Mm -hmm. Um, that was one of the very first, um, one of the very first, you know, kind of painful lessons I learned here. Um, <laughs> Did you have something that just tasted like marijuana or something? Oh, uh, we had j- just uh, one beer that just came out so bitter. Mm-hmm. It was, and then we, you know, ugh. <laughs> we served it, but I was not happy with it. But um, uh, so we'll, um, because we have such a uh, high utilization on our hops, we get a lot of bitterness out of them. We don't need to use a whole lot of hops to get our target IBU. And so a lot of our recipes are very heavily backloaded in the kettle. So we'll have, you know, it's uncommon for us to have more than just a cup, like a pound or two or three or four. Oh, wow. Um, in, in our whole entire 30 barrel batch. Wow. Because, you know, most of it, uh, again, we have a very high utilization compared to smaller systems and pellet hops. Uh, it's all, yeah. Pellet hops. Mm -hmm. Um, we use a little bit of, uh, some extracts, uh, which, you know, they, they taste, you know, the extracts that we use there, you know, it's, it's whole, it's whole plant material. It's nothing, it's nothing weird. Um, but it really helps us with things like, uh, yield. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually been a, a net benefit in our, in our flavor profile. Um, so yeah, we'll have a very small bittering charge, uh, in the beginning and then we'll have, uh, our flavor additions at about, you know, 20 minutes or so Mm -hmm. and then we'll also probably have a pretty large addition into the whirlpool cool i mean we have certain beers that are only whirlpool the whirlpool mean is that would be the equivalent of what in the homebrew so uh it would be after you uh kill the fire on your boil and a lot of people whirlpool right in their right in their kettle so you can just stir it up with a spoon and that spinning action forces all of your your troop material into a little pile in the center then you can you know siphon it out or draw it off from a special port on the side hmm Man, this is all well beyond anything I've done, which is, I mean, obviously looking at these giant vats and things like that, but I'm just so impressed that going from that small scale of like, ah, it's in my closet or whatever, to then managing this enormous thing and knowing all of the, when you get something that comes out that's just a little off, are you usually able to be like, yeah, (laughs) number four, (laughs) are you usually able to know like, ah, damn it, I know where this is. We had a little bit of... Uh, contaminant in this transfer or something to that effect um and usually the um kind of the little the little errors that get made um will mostly affect things like fermentability Uh so we might uh you know be a little over or under our final gravity target Mm -hmm. um that can that can um that's that's usually the one that we chase chase around a little bit we um but for the most part, or, or, you know, I make an error on my, my fancy spreadsheet where it's like, oh, these are 
50 pound bags not 55 pound bags whoops oh no <laughs> and that that's totally noticeable i guess we'll have to boil this for an extra you know 30 minutes or you know or so. you can you can change it that way you it's still saveable if you're like oh shit we noticed we're yeah five it's um off. you know beer beer brewing a lot is kind of guiding guiding the process mm-hmm. you know you you know everybody makes mistakes at you know at some sometimes but it's all about kind of dealing with what happens what happens to it mm-hmm Man, this started to break in, but this, so you just poured an IPA and we were talking earlier about the natural kind of citrus notes. We didn't necessarily say natural, but like that has become the, the hazy thing snuck up on me. Cause I felt like, yeah, I feel like I know what's going on in the beer world. And then I lo- I don't even know if I noticed it on the thing, but I ordered something and the person goes, you want a hazy one? Right. And I go, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I thought it meant like it was some sort of, uh, in, you know impurity in it and the person, yeah, like you don't know what a hazy ipa is it just instantly changed the whole paradigm to me where i was like oh the- well that is um you kind of hit the nail on the head it uh for you know many many decades of of traditional brewing haze has has been an impurity except for certain specialty styles like hefeweizen or you know something that's supposed yeah. to be hazy um kind of like you know uh I kind of I have a joke like you know it's between you know the the haze the hazy thing and the brute IPA thing so like you know we had haze which was you know beer turbidity mm-hmm. has been traditionally a beer flaw mm-hmm. and then we have the brute IPA thing which is massive over attenuation which has also been a beer flaw so what's the next technical brewing flaw that's going to be the next new hot thing <laughs> so, well I love it that someone <laughs> saved it and had like I just I always think of a marketing department like guys we can sell this because if they did taste it and went like. When I read the brute thing, and I've only seen it on one beer ever, and I thought it was like, oh, this is a specialty t- specialty thing that involved brute uh, dry champagne. Is that right? Uh, that's the the term uh, brute. Yeah, is derived from uh, from champagne designation, where you have like you know, kind of your sweet champagne would be your extra dry. Then you would have brute in the middle, and then extra brute. Oh, okay. At the very, you know, the driest of the dry champagne, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's kind of appropriating some of that, some of that terminology. But do you, do you think it was that them just being like, "This is too hazy for an IPA"? Ah, you know what? It tastes okay. So I think kind of the the you know I think the big progenitor of that that style was the Alchemist uh, with Heady Topper. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, they found this really flavorful yeast that kind of matched the flavor profile that we're going for, but it was not flocculent. Uh, flocculent? Meaning uh, flocculation is the ability of the yeast to drop out of suspension Okay. to the bottom of the tank. So a very flocculent yeast, say something like an English ale strain, will clump up into big rocks, drop out of the beer, and the beer will be very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lower flocculating yeast will be very powdery, and not fall out of suspension very easily and leave uh, a haze. A haze. Yeah, gotcha. Flocculence. So, that's um, a fun thing to say if you're out there at a bar and you order a haze. Ooh, this beer is very flocculent. <laughs> um, and so, you know, they, they found this uh, this very flavor expressive yeast that was not uh, that that didn't drop out of the beer, and you know they hopped hopped the hell out of it. Um, and they made this this beer with had you know this crazy awesome flavor, uh, but it was very hazy. Mm-hmm. And even on the um, you know the, the the cans that they were making of it says drink it out of the can. It's not because it's going to make it smell better, so you couldn't see the so haze. Couldn't see the haze. <laughs> <laughs> so originally it was not intentional, mm-hmm. uh, but it became like you know the most desired beer in the country because scarcity. 
yeah. makes people do crazy things. I do like the taste of it though. The hazy. It IPAs. was very. It was very tasty. Um, you know, it was, and it was a much different flavor profile than what people were doing at IPA at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and wouldn't it the flocculation eventually slowly settle? So if you had that beer two weeks in your refrigerator, even in the can, when you get that little protein nugget at the end, or there's too minimal. Um, the uh, so the other component of the haze is also um, I'm gonna drop some drop some lingo, but uh, yeah, tannin polyphenol matrix. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so using. Um, you know, uh, it's essentially, you know, it's uh, chill haze, or you can have other types of haze uh, active components of, you know, using, if you use a lot of things like oats or wheat that also have a lot of this protein stuff in there, you can get this permanent haze uh, to set into the beer. So when they're, when they're done correctly, mm-hmm. you get this permanent haze that does not drop out. Uh, when they're done incorrectly, which is, I've had a lot of those, which like, oh, we don't need to crash our tanks to get the yeast out. We'll just like not take anything out of this beer so it just has like hop chunks and like yeast in it and it's hazy mm-hmm. it's gross <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's the right way and the wrong way to do it and uh when you do it the right way uh it's actually really interesting there was this uh scientific paper that was just published about this about how these this haze can carry flavor active components of hop oil that are normally not soluble in normal beer so that's Oh, maybe that's what you're getting. And so that's that's really kind of like when they're done correctly, you can get you know these flavor expressions out of hops that aren't normally possible. Does that then excite you to be like, oh, I want if there were so the the thing they put into propane to make it uh, smell because mm-hmm. like it's a an odorant. odorless gas. So the odorant is an oil, which was I didn't I don't know why I would have known that, but when they said it, I thought oh, that's fascinating. But in old propane tanks, they have a lead plug at the bottom, which uh, is hard to get out because they get so old, they just melt, basically. And they just, yeah, they rust. And then when you try to, like, torque them in, they just tear out. But what would happen is the old oils would sink down to the bottom and sort of slip out of there, like, you know, around the plug, just... And then you'd smell, you'd walk by those old tanks and like, oh, it's leaking gas. And, but it's only just leaking the oil. The stink oil. The stink oil. And if you could, but as a brewer, I bet you like, how can we deliver that stink oil and get it more? <laughs> <laughs> That's what people want. They want that like unfiltered, heavy charge stink. Um, a lot of, so it's, um, it can be a little difficult uh, to get. Again, we've kind of been constantly pushing the envelope over the last, you know, five years or so with this. Um, and, you know, really to do it, you know, now to what people are really wanting, that super, like, aggressive, like, in-your-face character. Like, a lot of people are using extract, which mm-hmm. I don't really have a problem with. Um, but, again, the there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And, you know, turbidity is not turbidity uh, in those styles of beer. You know, heavy yeast load should not be in there. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just it's can be it can be a real mess. I've had some I've had some bad ones, and a lot of people just don't know the difference. I think. Does that feel weird though that you like master something, you make it, and you go, guys, I screwed this one up, and they go, we still like it. I'm like, well, what in the hell am I trying so hard for? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're trying to turn beer into money, mm-hmm. so I'm not I'm not that mad about it. Like, uh, you know, there's been sometimes when uh, you know we've had some things that have been off target and you know the customers still really even like it and so that's when i have to kind of like you know pack pack my 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 technical brewer taster away just because it tastes this way doesn't mean you know we can't you know we can't sell it yeah and 
you know, and, and maybe even it's not the way that I was supposed, it was supposed to be. It just turned out to be something different. Mm-hmm. We'll just call it something different. Problem solved. Let's <laughs> <laughs> well, say you ever played uh, cricket and darts. Yeah. So you're aiming for like, say the double bullseye and you hit triple 20. Still pretty good. Right. Like, yeah. It's not, it's not <laughs> near the bullseye, but it's still yeah. a great, yeah. <laughs> great shot. Um, so yeah, uh, just a little bit about this IPA. Um, it's uh I really like how different it is. It's got quite a bit of uh, a malt character to it mm-hmm. um, that uh, a lot of IPA doesn't have. Um, we've just recently switched malt suppliers to um, a brand new one that almost nobody's using right now. So I think that's going that, to be a really unique edge for us. So you can do that. You can just change it up. People come in and they're like, I've traveled here from across the sea and I love your IPA. And then you're like, oh, we just changed malts. And they go, I'm flying home. Well, that's, uh, that IPA that's across the sea is not going to taste like it does here anyway. So. No, but I mean, someone flew to your brewery to get your specific IPA. And then you, if, when you've changed malts, have you changed the taste just enough? Yeah, the, um, uh, the beers, uh, since, I've, since I've been here, have all kind of morphed very, very slowly. Um, you know, we've kind of redeveloped the entire core beer program uh, in a very slow methodical frog boiling way mm-hmm. so you know we make changes very tinily and subtly and you know the beers now are drastically different than what they were when i got here and really nobody has noticed a whole lot yeah <laughs> well it, to some, maybe it's like a puppy growing if you live with it yeah you don't know you don't really realize it but yeah, yeah you come back in six months like oh holy shit this is mm-hmm. way different but the, the thing i would say with beer then maybe is like you remember a size thing with a puppy. When you come back with beer, your taste buds have also changed probably a little bit. So in six months when you try it, you go, it's a little different than I remember last time, but then your brain probably starts going, oh, you've had a lot of beer since then. Maybe you're just remembering it wrong. Uh, that's definitely, uh, definitely, you know, people's uh, state-dependent learning, let's, uh, or memory, mm-hmm. let's call it. You know, especially yeah. like, oh, this, uh, this beer doesn't taste like how I remember it was when I was drunk as fuck at that beer festival. <laughs> Remember what I was telling you? I had 40 of yeah. these. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this, I mean, this beer is kind of, you know, again, kind of the way that we're approaching the IPA game is kind of going super classic and old school. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, so uh, to back up a little bit, oh, I, yeah. don't under, I don't know what classic and old school is. And you also said it would taste different across the sea. Is that just because Oh, just location? beer transportation, like, age, time. Oh, gotcha. From from here. I yeah. thought you meant like their actual brewing. Which we've which exported is. some beer overseas. Really? Which has always terrified me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just lose complete control. Yeah. Just <laughs> bye, babies. Um, sorry. So old school, because I feel like IPA, I mean, in one sense, people think, oh, it's very new and trendy. And you're like, well, it's the oldest, like the British soldiers, really, really early beer style. So yeah, I would kind of classify there's, you know, very, very, very broadly, uh, kind of new school IPA and old school IPA. Okay. New school IPA would, I would definitely kind of characterize as like, you know, you're very tropical fruit driven, possibly hazy, yeah. sort of very, you know, not bitter mm-hmm. flavor profile. Whereas kind of the old school is, you know, maybe a little bit more malt driven, um, kind of old, uh, old classic hop varieties like your Cascade, Chinook, Columbus. Are people uh, moving away from that? Because I still see... Everybody's chasing fruit right now. Because I see on boxes like made with Cascade hops or, you know, like... Cascade hops are, are ubiquitous and it was probably the first uh, American aroma hop variety that was ever 
really developed and commercialized, mm-hmm. um, and it's been with us forever. I mean, it's the it's the hop in Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So so this say this which was this hop again? Uh, so this uh, this particular beer uh, it uses uh, has a big. Again, it's got almost no bittering charge in the very beginning of the kettle. Uh, the we have smell a big, is once uh, again just so unique. A so big different. fat uh, chunk of Columbus at about fifteen minutes, and then add zero. Um, we'll to the whirlpool. We'll add uh, another big chunk of Centennial, um, and we'll have uh, some Chinook extract. Actually, cool. and so we get we're chasing that. You know that really kind of classic uh, Pacific Northwest like old hop variety like the way that ipa used to taste like forever mm-hmm. ago yeah um yeah the malt uh, the malt bill for this one's pretty simple it's just uh, some really uh again yeah two row base um really really light crystal malt um and a little bit of vienna which is a much it's a it's a lighter version of that munich that that we mentioned earlier um and so yeah it's got just enough like malt to balance uh the bitterness and the hop character we're shoving into it mm-hmm. um and so we kind of stay away from, you know, the, the fizzy hop water sort of character, <laughs> which, again, is kind of a peeve for me. I like that you maintain just enough sort of, and I don't mean this in a negative sense, but like the snobbiness of, well, this is where everyone's going, and it's just not what I dig about this type of beer. But I like this style of beer if I can brew it this way. And so going the old style route, which must be kind of tough having never tasted it, it being an old school beer, you're kind of going off what other people describe it as. So how do you know you've nailed it? Oh, I've it? tasted that beer. I mean, even going back to, you know, the you know late 90s, early 2000s, you know, those beers are still around today mm-hmm. if you want to go drink them. Um, oh, okay. So when you say like old school IPA, like, you know, Anchor Liberty like- Ale, I think is a great example. That beer's been around for a long time. Uh, I, think, what- I think the first IPA I ever tried was the uh, Anderson Valley IPA. Oh, yeah. That one to me doesn't hold up as much as... I love some of their other beers, but the their IPA, when the IPA thing took off, and then I was like, oh, I love Anderson Valley. I want to try their IPA. It was too bitter. It was a little too hoppy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, um, you know, and so we're kind of, you know, trying to trying to get that kind of classic flavor, you know, a little bit less fruit and a little bit more like dirt and sticks, mm-hmm. pine. <laughs> <laughs> it's fresh, though. When you smell it, like the pine, I definitely noticed what you're talking about. Like, Yeah, it's very piney, uh, citrusy, you know, it's got some citrus and fruit to it. Um, but you know, it's got a very, you know, it's a very kind of classic West coast flavor profile, um, versus, you know, kind of, you know, the, the, the newer school thing is chasing all the fruit, you the know, fruit, yeah, the citrus stuff, uh, you know, tropical fruit is a, is a really big one right now. You know, there's, there's a, you know, the good, some of the really good ones, you know, they taste like carbonated mango juice. Yeah. Yeah. There was a period of probably two weeks where I was into that and a friend of mine came over and he's like, yeah, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm really into these mangoey fruity type beers and I, go, I got some in the fridge and then yeah like two weeks later he came over again and i was like i still have some of those beers and i have some other ones He's like let's drink the other ones yeah. <laughs> and i was in the same boat like yeah i really sour yeah on that. you know they um they're really really interesting and fun can be fun to drink but you know how much of it you can drink in a sitting yeah and you know again because of you know if it's a hazy interpretation it's not gonna have the shelf life as a clear beer um and I like beer that tastes like beer. If I want to drink mango juice, I'm going to drink rum. Yeah. <laughs> I'm try- I wish I need to check what you wrote, what is on your board out there. Cause when I was here before, uh, I didn't order the IPA. I, and I typically try to avoid it in any place I go. And it's like, I, one, I think it's too common, 
but more often than not, like it's just too bitter, it's too hoppy, and I want something else. And they hardly ever have the the black lagers that I love. But if your if this beer had been accurately rep, like described, I'm like, <laughs> give me that because this, this is a really good idea. Yeah, I mean, even on the uh, you know these like a beer like this, which is you know has a very you know it's very intense. Um, let's say um, we still strive for an element of balance where mm-hmm. you know we have bitterness mm-hmm. um, and high hop character but it's balanced out by the rest of the rest of the beer mm-hmm. and so you get this overall package where like oh it's strong it's tasty and you know you know it doesn't have a very you know long lingering bitterness that can that can fatigue you the bitterness gets on and off your palate relatively quickly um, and so just again being being able to get that that person to be like oh I'll have a second one. Mm-hmm. And so that, again, that's the, the approach we take to everything. And with IPA, I think it can be especially challenging to do, right? Cause it's a little bit more of a balancing act. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, that's, that's, that's the way that, that I really like brewing is brewing like with a very balanced centric thing, especially for beers that are inher- inherently unbalanced like IPA. Yeah. And is, <clears throat> is, is, I always ask this to like, you know, musicians, um, Comedians, obviously. Whoever is, you know, are you performing to someone in the back of the room? Like a lot of times for me, it's like my sister and some of my like oh, high definitely. school friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know the 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 people. I think it's like you know the the silent majority mm-hmm. like to like to drink the like the same beers as me. You know, there's a very vocal minority of you know the kind of um, the the super, the super nerd uh, enthusiast, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where you know they're clamoring for and you know raving about all these extreme beers um, because again they're very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean fun. like the sours and things like that? Sours, like and-, yeah, and then just you know barrel aged everything, mm-hmm. um, sparkles, sparkle <laughs> beer, uh, you know milkshake IPA, you know things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know the not to not to say that those beers aren't worth brewing. It's just not my they don't thing. excite you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean that it's so funny when <clears throat> people like you know musicians will be like you, know, you go hey that that song you guys had on your ep or you played live and they're like we hate that song like, but man people love it and yeah they just don't, <laughs> just don't dig it yeah um yeah, i think probably a funny example of that would be something like uh like noble um they had the again kind of going back to the golden stout thing they had naughty sauce which um, was like one of the big popular versions of that style. And it was like, I think it was their number one beer for a small amount of time. But they're like, man, why are we making this? <laughs> <laughs> what if that happened? What if he, What if it suddenly Dodger Stadium was selling out of it and the Staples Center? Oh, do you want to taste that beer that we make? <laughs> <laughs> is that really the right here? Oh, is it really? Yeah, so, oh, okay. um, yeah, here, one more beer. Let's open this one. So, okay. uh do we need to so after talking uh, talking a bunch of shit about hazy hoppy beer, we're gonna we're gonna pour some right now. <laughs> so this is your pop song. Yeah, you don't like to play live, and the crowd loves it, and it's selling out Staples Center, etc. But you already said that your lager outsells everything. But this is this is f- flying up the charts. So this is um so this this beer this is a uh, what we call BPA okay. uh, Bavarian Pale Ale, which is um, a fake style that we totally made up. <laughs> 
but conceptually, it's kind of a, 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 a smash between like pale ale and Hefeweizen. So mm-hmm. you could also construe it as a hoppy Hefeweizen. But and then Hefeweizen needing to be a little hazy and a pale ale being a little hoppier. And this is probably straddling maybe a, a hazy IPA a little bit, maybe. Yeah, so it's, um, the, it's got kind of the, uh, the malt bill that you, you know, it could be, you know, it's definitely, definitely a wheat beer in the malt bill. It's a uh, Pilsner base um, with a big fat chunk of wheat malt mm-hmm. uh, fermented with hefeweizen yeast. Um, and so it's, it's definitely, definitely you the get skeleton that. of a hef. Uh, but when we hop it, we use um, a blend of uh, New School uh, German aroma hops and some some new crazy uh, Pacific Northwest hops as well. So we use um, a lot of El Dorado in this beer, which is one of those very kind of light fruity hops, uh, and along with um, a lot of uh, Hul uh, Malone, which is uh, one of the new aroma hop, uh, varieties coming out of Germany that has like you know it's a Cascade derivative has like this a lot of uh, fruit and melon melon character to it. So mm-hmm. we have like kind of this fruit fruit salad sort of a sort of an experience i was gonna say if if you like cantaloupe and smarties candy and that <laughs> kind of, it's just a slight little bit of you can when you to your nose you smell the wheat and kind of the hefeweizen kind of vibe but I've, i feel like the after the the sip of it that's the the feel i'm getting of like ooh, you could you could drink a lot of this yeah and so it's got you know it's got a lot of um different flavors going on i would say this is probably the most the the most complex of the uh of the core beers that we make you know you've got a lot of um spice uh from you know the yeast a lot of uh kind of fruity banana from the yeast mm-hmm. um oh, yeah, i'm a big yeah. stickler for not going uh overboard with the banana so the banana is like you know pretty pretty subdued and we that's that was that certain was type of, of yeast that you're like this is gonna very real particular banana. yeah we're very particular with the type of yeast so we don't get the banana bomb um, and then we dry hop the ever loving shit out of this beer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by dry hop? So dry hopping is when you uh, the beer is done with fermentation. You remove the bulk of the slurry out of the beer, and then you just dump hops into it. Oh, okay. So oh, I didn't. So the whirlpool is typically the hot. end of hops. That's that's hot. hot. That's the hot side. Mm-hmm. And then because um, you know if you're gonna so the nice thing about dry hopping is because it's cold side, uh, you don't impart uh, very much bitterness. There's a tiny, tiny little bit if mm-hmm. you want to be technically correct, but um, yeah, there's a very you get almost no bitterness uh, pick up from it, um, You're and you get a huge amount of flavor and aroma because uh, those volatile volatile compounds are not being driven off by a boil. Cool, and but then they're immediately kind of filtered out. They put it in the cold, and then obviously like they're strained. How soon after? Uh, no, they'll just uh, you know fall fall down to the bottom of the tank. You know, we'll uh, let them go for you know three to five days depending on yeah. oh okay so they're in there they're, but the yeast is fermenting and then, and yeah, then we'll crash the tank down to 32 and all that stuff drops to the bottom and we get as much of it out as we can mm-hmm. um so 32 mm-hmm. temperature yeah so it's way down there it's yeah, barely we get it down to down to freezing uh well water freezing point because it's got alcohol in it it'll you know take you gotta get it down to like 28 7 mm-hmm. to, to really get it to freeze but um Getting that, getting it down that cold, uh, really helps us later with carbonation. Also helps the yeast uh, fall out of it a lot more. Nice. Which that's one of the big 
problems with uh, with this beer on the production side is Hefeweizen is that very low flocculent yeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that we rely on uh, from batch to batch is collecting yeast to, to reuse. And because this beer is also dry hops, it means that we can't cool it down very hard mm-hmm. to get the yeast to drop out of it for us to harvest. So we have to... It's really quite the task of getting enough yeast out of this beer for us to uh to make another batch of it uh before you know and then we then we dry hop it <laughs> <laughs> so what if you run out like go back to the, the beginning and start with a new strain of this ideally the same yeast or is it you want to keep that same strain in there as we want to keep possible? the same strain in and uh yeast is kind of expensive to buy at a commercial scale you know mm-hmm. like for say for 500 gallons of beer you're looking at about you know three or four hundred bucks for a yeast pitch what are you pulling out of it as far as quantity, eight ounces is that gonna be enough or uh, way for more like than that? a um, for like a thirty barrel batch? We'll pitch again, depending on the uh, the thickness of our of our slurry that we're getting out. Um, maybe about five to ten gallons of slurry for mm-hmm. a thousand gallons of beer. Wait, slurry or yeast? Uh, yeast slurry. Yeast slurry. Okay, so you're using so all that, like, all that, all that uh, peanut butter at the bottom of of your bucket. Mm-hmm. That um, you know, it doesn't like on the homebrew scale. Like you know, if you just take your mason jar of it and plunk it into your next five gallon batch, it's probably a massive overpitch. But mm-hmm. um, but do you ever use the powdered yeast at all? Dry yeast is good for certain things. Like if you want to just do a one off with a with a special yeast that's available in dry, that's that's nice because it costs a lot less than liquid does. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it's can it doesn't always have the longevity of multi generational repitching that pure liquid yeast does. Yeah, um, and there's just a much greater variety available to you in, in in live liquid liquid yeast that you can buy. So when you pull out that five to ten. You know, you got a bucket or two of just slurry. We have, a, yeah, these special converted kegs that we use. Um, you know, they have, like, an extra, you know, some extra ports and fittings and stuff in there. And so we'll just bring that slurry in there. Um, yeah, it looks kind of like like thick, runny, like, peanut butter almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, we'll store that for a couple of days. And then, you know, we'll take a little sample out of it, look at it under a microscope, figure out, you know, how many cells there are in there and how, you know. Really? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, so every, cool. Um, yeah, every pitch we, uh, you know, we count our count cell count our yeast slurry, so we know exactly you know how much yeast we're gonna put into this batch because it's really important for flavor consistency. Mm-hmm. Also, yeast longevity too. There's I could probably talk a lot about that, but <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and you were getting in trouble in high school. Yeah. <laughs> Are your parents just blown away that like you've become this mad scientist? Uh, they're really happy it turned out this way. (laughs) I'll say that. (laughs) That's so cool. I mean, it could have, you know, anyone that gets in the barefoot bandit, the guy that was up in the Pacific Northwest, stealing planes and crashing them. Brilliant kid. And I think that his lawyer ended up like vouching for him to be on parole. Like, let me help this kid. He's brilliant. Just chose the wrong path. And, you know, some people get into meth. And I think partly people get into maybe the meth side, like Walter White, because the challenge of the perfect chemistry of the completion of it, like anyone likes any project, yeah, this- uh, process <clears throat> process driven mm-hmm. perfection, yeah, yeah, it can be kind of sexy to the to the right to the right minded person, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> or absolutely dull and boring <laughs> to another. <laughs> That's so sad to think that someone would find it dull and boring. And I get it. Like you say, the term microscope and yeast, and people are like, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But man, that just seems so cool. I never would have considered that a, a brewery. And is it common practice? Do a lot of people do that? Like reclaim their yeast, or they just go? Yeah, eh, it's only. Yeah, it's pretty. Bucks. Yeah, it's oh, um, okay. yeah, it's a, it's a huge cost savings. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do it, if you do it correctly, um, you know, you can really, really control uh, your process very, very well. Yeah, and you know, maintain maintain your flavor parameters and make sure your beer tastes the same all the time. Yeah, if you have your water where you want it, if your yeast where you want it, the hops are kind of the yeah outlier. hops. Uh, hops are a challenge. Um, you know, we we have to jump between crop years quite frequently, um, and so that's you know, it's it's hops are probably one of the biggest sources of, of variation. Um, we we wrote some big fat hop contracts that we're you know that we're working through right now, so we don't have a whole lot of freedom in in some of that stuff, unfortunately. Um, but that is, you know, that's the hardest place to be consistent in is 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 um, the the flavor flavor components that that come from the hops because it's so highly variable on growing conditions and you know rain and mm-hmm. you know, everything. I think it's it's kind of silly that you know the the GMO term gets thrown around in such like a negative way, whereas it's the genetics of the what you're what you're creating. If you could guarantee the same strain, the same type of hop being grown, that it wasn't gonna mutate or adapt or evolve, you'd we probably don't take have that. GMO right? hops yet. Um, really, it seems like they would want to guarantee that they got kind of the same strain every year. There hasn't been really the the need for GMO hop. Mm-hmm. Um, we're starting to get some some things like GMO brewers yeast right mm-hmm. now and. The diff- I mean, just make a little bit of a differentiation. GMO meaning the you know the man-made like you know gene mm-hmm. modification, direct gene modification, not coming from crossbreeding. Okay, so this like is that. like legitimately yeah, infused so, or interrupted. So yeah, we have you know we have breeding programs and you know that do tons and tons of research. So that's not GMO. That's like just normal like mm-hmm. you know agricultural research. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't have GMO hops. Yet. Okay, I'm sure. Would you be opposed to that? I mean, GMO and, and again, we're referencing them in like a person with latex gloves on going get in there and putting in like a certain. Um, you know, I don't think, uh, when it comes to GMO, uh, items being used as food products, I don't think there's been enough research to conclusively prove that they're the same as non GMO. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what I would like to see. Um, uh, other types of, you know, I think other types of genetic modification just kind of come into like a, uh, maybe like a moral, uh, ethics sort of realm, like, you know. Creating, creating plants that you need to buy seed for every year is probably a dick move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and shoving other farmers out of the business because but of it. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, you know, all the uh, you know the barley the barley varietals that we use are all non-GMO. There's really no GMO in in beer right now, so that's you know we don't we don't really need it. Yeah, when you see beers that say like organic or whatever. Is that just a dick move by them to be like, we're just trying to capitalize on a buzzword? Because most of it seems like it's from the ground right into the beer. There's not a whole lot of uh, things that can be kind of uh, anything other than organic. Uh, mostly, um, it comes down to paying for certification. I mean, there's a lot of people that just don't do it because um, it costs money. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking with um, you know some smaller barley growers that were like, yeah, this. I mean, we're growing it like, you know, organic, but you know, it just costs too much money. Yeah. And you know, people know that organic costs too much money and they don't want to buy it. 
So we're, we're doing very, we're very cost uh, like commercial brewers are very cost sensitive. Mm-hmm. It's all about shaving pennies. Even though there are like billions of dollars and all that involved with like the big big groups kind of getting involved. Yeah, I mean, you know, to, you know, it's it's a lot of like brewing is all about efficiency and, you know, kind of kind of getting squeezing every little little penny that you can out of out of your ingredients, you know, if you're if you're going to do it well. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's one of the things like um, you know, we had a like I mentioned our multiplier change. We were fortunate enough to find a multiplier that was essentially the same price with Taster Malt, so we went with that. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's kind of tough. Um, the um, I've kind of lost my point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew we've four, we've sampled four beers. <laughs> Oh, we still do. We still have we still the have live. One more. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we still have one more. The crazy one. Yeah, the cr- whew, we gotta have just a splash of this, or uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I it doesn't concern me or interest me, and I know that seems weird. GMO but like, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, just kind of the organic nature of like I love that the the GMO kind of controversy hasn't worked its way into beer because people would be straddling it and or I like outright. That people are thinking about where their food comes from mm-hmm. and what's going in their bodies. Yeah. Um, I just want there to be science behind everything. But so going back to organic stuff, if people knew like, did you know 95% of the, the grains that you're drinking in beer are not organic, that there are pesticides and other agricultural elements involved. People go, <gasps> yeah, there's not a whole lot of pesticide that goes into barley cultivation. It doesn't seem like it. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there would need to be. And, or, I mean, what are the, it's just I mean, barley is a grass. It grows like crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it doesn't worry me. I don't think about it in the same way of like corn or something. I guess in, in the only beer that you and mentioned the, uh, with corn, the malting has, process itself is you know it goes through so many like you know so much water is involved. Like the stuff has been like washed and you know kilned and like there's a lot of yeah. processing that goes into it. So there's almost nothing mm-hmm. like if you. I mean. Don't quote me on any of this because I'm not a, I'm not a I'm not a barley grower, but you know, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the the pesticide load is very very low to almost non-existent in in you know big barley cultivation. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to me. I don't I have no scientific footing to uh, it's not base like that tomatoes on. or raspberries where it's just like covered in pesticide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have virtually every type of little critter that wants to crawl up there and get worms and bugs, et cetera, and yeah. insects that, uh, well, I guess it would be There's bugs. mice and things. Yeah, that, but yeah. But barley, people are like, I don't want to eat that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bird. I want that tomato. All right, let's try the crazy beer. <sighs> Holy Lord. Oh, by the way, this, uh, yeah, this BPA, um, we were selling this in Dodger Stadium for the last two years. Sweet. That's awesome, man. That was yeah. That was cool. That was really cool. It's really good. I mean, all of these. I mean, I guess going back to kind of what Kale said, if like your friends just end up going, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel dumb in that like I just don't trust my palate enough to be like, ooh, looks like you missed the pH level on your water here a little bit or anything like that. See, I that's just, how my brain my brain works, and I've found it's really really hard to turn it off. Yeah. Which is like it's a, like a blessing and a curse. You know, it's opening opening the genie bottle of like, oh, you figured out how to critically evaluate beer. <laughs> now try to stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have people that 
so a lot of people in my life, if they are starting to tell me a story and they go, so the, so her, it's actually her second cousin was uh, a, a first grade teacher and I'll go, I don't care. Yeah. And they go, what? I don't care <laughs> about your friend. Let me begin friend. this story with a lot of details that you don't care about. <laughs> and I'll just openly say it and they go, what? And I go, I'm your friend. You want me to be honest with you, right? I don't care about your friend's second cousin. I'm never going to remember this. And they go, all right, fair enough. And then months later they'll go, you know what? I've started doing that now. I, I really appreciate <laughs> that. And I think like if people were, hey man, you got food in your teeth, something like that. People go, oh, thank you. And you're the one person out of like the 10, you're like the 10th person you've talked to that day. The instant someone tells you <laughs> food in your teeth, you just start doing a mental like, I've seen 12 people. Yeah, nobody <laughs> said anything. Some of them were my close <laughs> friends. They didn't say anything. So I think if you have people that you run into, other brewers and stuff that go, well, Josiah's not going to bullshit me. Is it a good thing or do too many people go, man, you're too critical. You're too hard on me. Well, it kind of goes back to like some people want honest criticism and feedback and some people just want to be, tell me, tell me me pretty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Another, I mean, we're, these smells just keep, I'm just about to go into this one. I'm about to so dive this my is, um This is the Live by Night Imperial Ooh, Brown Ale, uh, bourbon barrel aged with um, cacao nibs and painstakingly hand toasted coconut. I was going to say, the first thought that came to mind just by giving a little snout test is if corduroy could be made out of chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so this, this beer was uh, a huge, huge pain in the ass. Tell me about it. What goes into it? How Because, you know, I'll go to the brew store sometimes. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm trying to do this. And they go, oh, no way. Too, too tough. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, but I've always just thrown stuff in a bucket, boiled it up, and then poured it into another thing. And then, add, you know, it, to me, the steps are kind of one, two, three. And they go, no, no, this time of year, you need the temperature to be just so. And you need this to happen at just this. What's, what's, when you're a master, when you're brewing on this level, 30 barrels, et cetera, what makes it difficult? Um, so this particular beer, um, we uh, so when we put it into the barrels, um, we added the uh, the cacao. Actually, no, sorry, we added the um, coconut and the cacao to the bright tank. That's right. So when we brought it into the bright tank, um, uh, we added so much uh, chocolate and coconut to it that it clogged the tank, <laughs> and it took us like eight hours just to get the beer out coming out at a trickle. Oh, and so man. we basically and you made waited? like yeah, and so we just basically ended up making you know a couple hundred gallons of like chocolate coconut espresso with this <laughs> beer. Um, so that was that was the big that was the the big challenge with this beer. But it, I mean the the expression of the the chocolate and the coconut was really good. I mean, and the thing that was totally my fault that was also a pain in the ass. I toasted all this coconut out of a way too tiny of a pan. Use an actual pan? Like, yeah. I don't know what I think. I think you have like a big industrial kitchen here, but you're just no, literally had, toasting uh, coconut. like a little 12-inch skillet, and I, you know, put like 40 pounds of coconut through it. So this is an, like, <laughs> how long does it take, like three uh, or four hours? Yeah, it was very, yeah, it took, yeah, it was a good, a good day, wow. half day of toasting <sighs> coconut. What clogged it up that you're literally pouring cacao powder in? Uh, nibs. So they're like these little kind of, it looks like, um, if you hit a, um, hit a coffee bean with a hammer. Oh yeah. Okay. It's like six pieces of a coffee bean. And it stays that consistency. Yeah. Yeah. It stays that consistency. Uh, but, um, the bag that we put them in, uh, broke. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just went everywhere and clogged everything. Oh jeez. So, cool. Yeah, try though. Was that your first effort at something like that? Uh, that was the most, um, yeah, the most 
stuff I've put in a beer, like based on volume, because we were, you know, we were we were trying to hit it out of the park, which I think we did. Um, it's nuts, man. This is this doesn't taste like anything I've ever had. It it's, it's also the imperial brown ale, something you don't see too yeah, often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See a lot of imperial stouts, and uh, I, I shy away from the imperial name all the time just because of the high alcohol content. And fourteen percent is pretty. High. And you really can. I mean, when you're taking it back, maybe it's just me, but like as you're breathing it in, you're like, "This is high well, there's in booze." Some alcohol in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really worth it. Like the it's one of those where you know you go to a and this kind of goes in with what Kale was saying, or like, you know, you have a specialty bottle or something. You're like, damn it, I don't want beer to be $20. But you go to a place, and especially here in LA, where beers are typically about $8. And people from anywhere else go, what? what? But it, like, you go in and they'll say, a lot of places, you know, they have the little chalkboard thing, and it'll have the type of beer, it'll say to Imperial this, and then it'll say the ounce count. And sometimes it's like five ounces for like $10. Well, but I mean, a lot of high. times, uh, you don't want more than that. That's what I was going to say. You with get $10 this one, of fun in five ounces. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one is one where like each sip, you're like, oh, that's delicious. I don't want to chug this. I don't want to even take like a big gulp of it. It's nice. Yeah, this is um, this is definitely like a beer that's really good uh, over like some vanilla ice cream. Oh, yeah. You make floats and things like that? Okay, so let me talk about the float thing. <laughs> there's, uh, I think there's, there's, there's a couple ways that it's done. And I think there's... So you've you've seen the pint of beer with the ice cream scoop in it? Mm-hmm. Bad idea, terrible. Okay. Um, I think the right way to do that sort of thing is you have a little bowl with like a scoop or two of ice cream in it, and you just sauce it up with some beer. Yeah. And then that's nice. And then so you can, then you can. So because then you haven't ruined your entire pint of beer. Yeah. With ice cream that's melting into it, and so but you get the nice beer flavor complementing the ice cream, so the ice cream stays ice cream. Yeah. And then you can have some beer next to it. I like that. And then you can kind of pick and choose. You can scoop some ice cream, dip it into the beer. When you run out of beer, pour a little more in. Ration it out perfectly. Yeah. um, Yeah, I really am a big fan of, like, keeping, you know, it's very easy to have the ideas like, oh, hey, these two things are great. What if we put them together? Yeah. And a lot of times, those two things are much better just being their own separate (laughs) things and then, like, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) enjoying enjoying them separately (laughs) at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you can think of like a million scenarios there where this would be, you know, cold, you're in a mountain town in a cold kind of like ski lodge or something like that. This just has like a warm texture to it, it seems like. Yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, it's got a lot of, uh, again, I'm a big fan of like the uh, the unmalted adjunct. This one's got a ton of oats in it uh, mm. just for that kind of like silky, silky, umptuous mouthfeel. Um, and then, yeah, just all the, the oil from the... So oats Coconut will give you that? and the chocolate. It's um, and again because it's uh, because it's an imperial brown versus an imperial stout. It doesn't have that insane level of roastiness. Yeah. Um, so it's very you know it's a very highly flavorful, but at the same time, uh, very mild, strong beer. Yeah, man, I am a huge fan. I'm glad we concluded with this because it is such like a dessert beer. Yeah, definitely. It's very like <laughs> silky. There's nothing about it that's jarring. There's nothing, even if you didn't like beer, you know, sometimes people get tricked into like, I don't like beer. Like, well, try this fruity, whatever. Try this Hefeweizen that has strawberry in it or whatever. Try this pink peppercorn hibiscus <laughs> saison. <laughs> but this salt. is, and I think most people would pick this up that didn't like beer. And be like, It's too dark. It's too heavy. You know, this just looks like something. And then trying it, they'd be like, well, I'd, 
who couldn't like this? And that's usually how the way it usually goes with this beer. It's like you tell like people like you, I don't want that, and you give them like a little drop of it, and you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, God, if you saw someone come in and order. Like, give me the pool, a pint and then try to order a second one. It's like, kind of goes what we started with this conversation of like certain beers are more drinkable and others like this is kind of an outlier in that conversation and that like, I don't, I wouldn't want to have a bunch of it, but it's like each sip is kind of its own, its own thing. Where yeah. You're like, oh, as, yeah it, isn't it, as it warms and then as like your palate gets coated and yeah, you get, um, you know, one of the kind of one of the interesting things that I learned as well, um, from a distiller friend of mine uh, was you have to keep drinking something to really know what it tastes like, mm-hmm. which is why kind of going back to my, my axiom of the, uh, the two pint test uh, or the whole pint test is, you know, you can smell and taste something, but your first impression of it is not going to be the same as if you keep ingesting it five minutes later, 10 minutes later, because you're just the way your brain works, you will stop smelling the things that are the most intense. And then you start picking up some of the underlying subtleties of it. So, you know, take for example, something really intense, like a, like a whiskey or a scotch. Um, it can be really, really intense in certain flavors, but as you keep drinking it, those flavors will sub- subdue. And then you get yeah. a little bit more of the subtlety and nuance out of them. Mm-hmm. That makes complete sense. And, and then, so I think I think beer is the exact same way. Um, you know, the the more that you you drink it, the the more you can taste it. Mm-hmm. Um, some beer, hopefully, you want to do that with. <laughs> I was just thinking, it's <laughs> such a funny advertising campaign. <laughs> just like, the more you drink it, the, the more better you can it taste. taste. <laughs> How does this feel though to like look around this room and we've and I can like have a olfactory kind of instant memory of all these beers and just how it smelled, how it tasted. And yet this one, it's, I don't feel like it's infringed on by any of that. I still feel like I'm tasting just this beer, but how does it feel for you to look around and like see all these labels that were dedicated to wrapping a product that inside is something that you concocted and completed? I mean, the, I think the, the thing that I, that, that still is the best part of this whole job is getting to watch people come into this place and drink beer that I make and really like it. That's the thing that is the best. Mm -hmm. It really is the best. (laughs) Handmade things are the best thing. It's the most human thing we can provide to one another. Brush strokes, chisel marks, handmade beer. I'll never get over my buddy that's a screen printer that just will drink crappy beer because he... There's that elitist thing, the feel of like, I don't want to walk in. I'm not a fancy person. I don't need no fancy beer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I hate that because I don't think it's that. Who says that about wine or liquor? I mean, there are people who are like, yeah, give me any wine. But realistically, the bad wine is hard to That's like self-conscious, like, I know I'm a shitty wino. (laughs) 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 Which that's pretty rare to have that level of self-conscious shame. True. Yeah. I mean, if you don't give me the fancy stuff because it's a waste. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Give me your gut rot. But then that goes against it because your cheap, shitty beer has the lowest alcohol. It's kind of the thing. Is like I think like our regular lager. I think is a really good shitty beer. Like I love shitty beer. 
You like, do. I think one of my favorite beers is Olympia. Yeah. Which I think is probably on the top of the heap of shitty beer. So you go like Schlitz and uh, PBR. I'll go and like this. I'll go I'll go Olympia number one, maybe like a Hams number two. <laughs> <laughs> You're crazy. And then uh, and then banquet. Okay. Right yeah. Wow. That. And this is why you modeled these little stubbies, the banquet beer. Uh, we just wanted kind of something that was uh, fun, fun and different uh, mm. for the little for the little stubby bottles. Um, but they just look really cool. We were kind of you know yeah. going for that kind of medicine bottle pre-prohibition era sort of a sort of a vibe i love um, it yeah i think it's cool and how, when are you guys gonna snap to the uh the big openings on the cans uh those are actually i think they're technically illegal in california because no! it's detachable litter oh that's crazy i know uh i know they're oh because it's like a pull top them. yeah yeah the 360 Damn. lid yeah i yeah. know it's pretty uh the yeah it's pretty pretty tempting um but yeah, hopefully uh, we don't have our own uh, canning equipment yet. We'll have that uh, probably by the beginning of next year, and that's just never been an option for us. We, uh, working with the um, uh, the mobile the mobile canners because mm-hmm. um, it just it takes a, a little bit of a different like feeding and seamer calibration and stuff. But I like I really like the idea. Yeah, uh, people are terrible, and we'll leave those things everywhere. So I'm kind of glad we're not doing it. Yeah, that's a good point. And realistically, like my thought is Think always how like, many turtles open- that's going to kill. Yeah, no, it opens things up where you like you really make the edible beer can. That's going to be the next thing. <laughs> yeah, you're Willy Wonka. You're looking through microscopes. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I like I like the microscope because like it's the part of the beer tour that makes me look really smart. <laughs> And if you'll notice me over here, folks, I'm looking through a microscope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this guy knows oh, this his guy stuff. Definitely has, yeah, has it going on. It's got it all figured out. Yeah, <laughs> this beer must be pretty good. I'm gonna splash a little bit more of this. Oh, please, yeah, yeah, yeah this, um, yeah, this beer is great, and it's, um, yeah, I think we bottled this maybe six months ago. Mm-hmm. Like, this is gonna be. Like it's gonna be nice for a while. Like it's a good one too. It's great, man. You can, you, say, you can keep it in the cellar for for a year, maybe maybe two years. Is it live by night? Live by night, yeah. Eh, maybe go live by Which night. Is the, we picked the, we picked the name for this beer when we thought there was gonna be coffee in it. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going by the Liam Neeson movie. No, we thought there was gonna be coffee in it, but <laughs> it ended up not working out, and we were too lazy to change the name of the computer. <laughs> Still going with coffee full? Yep. Load it up. (laughs) Do they feel like your kids? Does this feel like something where, oh, I have eight kids now. I have 12 kids. And people go, when are you going to stop? You're like, I'm going to have 30 kids. It's not my brewery, so it kind of feels like I run a daycare. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's weird. Full of of naughty children. So if they say, get the hell out of here, Josiah, all these beers stay, you're... Spreadsheets stay, the way to brew them stays, and you go off somewhere else. Oh, that's totally fine. Really? Oh, man, yeah, I don't care. Because you're a hired assassin. uh, You'll build something new. Yeah, one of the things that, you know, is kind of a misconception is that there's, like, something special or something mystique about a recipe. A recipe doesn't matter. Execution is what matters. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we've had, um, you know, uh, we do a lot of uh, contract brewing here because we have uh, a lot of big tanks. Uh-huh. Um, and it's kind of very funny to see, you know, certain certain prospective clients come in and be like, hey, you have to sign this NDA for you to see my beer recipe. <laughs> it's like, okay, dude. <laughs> 
because you can take that recipe anywhere and you can brew it in six different breweries. It's going to take six, taste six different ways. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, realistically, if I <laughs> tasted one of your beers, I'm like, you son of a bitch. This, <laughs> this is my beer. <laughs> yeah. How did you do that? I'm going to sue you. <laughs> I did this in my house. I have the patent. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's. I never thought of that. You could just go somewhere else and immediately do the exact. Which why, like, like, I'll give out whatever recipe for any beer that I make. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. And the margins of change. Say I were very litigious, and you're like, well, that one was on fifty. I mean, you can't patent a recipe. Okay, because so, but if I were gonna say like, you know, a slam campaign secret. So you have something that's not that's written on the recipe, and you go, everyone look away, and then you pour in this little extra. You throw in two more pounds of hops or something. <laughs> yeah, I wish, I wish magic was that, was that easy. <laughs> Everyone, look away. It's like, yeah, you just, uh, you know, put in, put in a little, like, magic secret ingredient that nobody knows about. But unfortunately, like, the thing that's, like, great uh, about beer, I, th- I think, uh, versus other things like, um, like, especially wine and to a lesser degree spirits, it's very egalitarian in the fact that we all have the same uh, access to ingredients um, which kind of puts us on the same footing with raw material uh, for the most part. Uh, whereas things like wine, you know, it's you're limited to the quality of wine by what access to, you know, the quality of fruit that you have. Yeah. And, you know, in spirits is even crazier because nobody shares information about anything because mm-hmm. it's all full of secrets and magic. Yeah. Um, but beer is really nice because we all, you know, we're kind of all, at least, at least the small brewers, we're still on the same team mm-hmm. for now. So nice. we all share uh, information, resources, but, um, you know, being able to, uh, you know, we all, we're, we're all on the same footing and it's all about your process, the quality of your process, uh, Taking, taking, taking a formulation to where to where you want it to go. That's the thing that I think is really kind of the most fun thing about it. Because you know, there's people that are making lagers, light lagers. Uh, there's people that you know doing kind of similar styles that we are. Uh, but it's all it's all different. It's all really different. And you know, we all have our own kind of I guess uh, kind of house uh, flavors or profiles that we do. And that's you know, and it as long as it's it's done in a high quality manner, it makes us all unique and I think worth spending a little bit of extra money on versus like, you know, giving, you know, saving a dollar or two on your, on your six pack. Yeah. Uh, and giving your money to, to a big beer company selling some fake craft brand. I like it, man. I hope people look that up a little bit more and I hope if you guys sell for a billion dollars, look for the Brewers Association certified independent craft symbol on any beer that you buy. Hopefully. It looks like an upside down 22 ounce bottle, which is going to be slapped all over the cans, which I think is really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you guys sell for a bunch of money, I'll be happy, but I hope you keep out there on the uh, wild west and this kind of frontier that you're in. Cause I think it's rad. I think you guys are doing it's good true. work. Yeah. I mean, we still have a lot of, we got a, uh, a lot of work, uh, to do. We still have, uh, you know, a lot of growth. I, th- I think before somebody's going to give us a billion dollars. Yeah. Dodger stadium. That's a start. All you it know, takes is that uh, one thing that, that takes off. But you know, it's, you know, brew, brew, like you're not going to get bought out. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good closing thing, man. I think everybody, uh, you know, everybody would like to, no matter how small your brewery is, if somebody came in and wrote you a fat enough check, I think everybody would take it. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't really, I didn't get into this for the money. I took a huge pay cut to, to come in here. I used to have a real job. 
<laughs> nah, this is way better. This man. is way better than having yeah. a real job. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I wish we had a little beer left to cheers on that. Cause that's a good uh, final note. Here, let's. Uh... Here, let's get. Uh, I'll do a little bit of a. All right. Yeah, <laughs> and you foleyed again. <laughs> Josiah Blumquist, this was great. Thanks a lot, man. Ah, that's refreshing. Yeah, come down to Iron Triangle Brewing Company of 1581 Industrial Street in beautiful downtown Los Angeles. Yeah, and ask for Josiah. <laughs> with the gentleman in the uh, overalls. All right, cool. Bye, everybody. Well, hopefully if you are home and have the means to do so, that encouraged you to try some beer that you maybe haven't had before if you're driving or at work i hope that wasn't uh too difficult to listen to like oh man i gotta get some beer in my system and that live by night really sticks with you it is so good so tasty all of it was great thanks again to josiah and kale if you happen to find yourself in los angeles stop by iron triangle i can't recommend it enough every beer just delicious and real different and very drinkable and thanks again to those of you who support the show through Patreon especially. Uh, there are other ways you can do it. There are screen prints and things like that at thespacecave.com. You can recommend guests and music and beers using pings at the Space Cave, uh, or you can tweet space underscore cave, or you can follow me on Twitter, Huntsberger Junk, and uh, you can also listen to some of my stand-up, a bunch of albums on iTunes, and you can even start a David Huntsberger Pandora channel. Thanks to Dan for making this show happen, compiling it together from the goodness of his heart down under in Australia. Thanks to Rob Crow for doing the theme song. Here's some music to get us out of here. This is called Sophie by Small Black. Hope you like it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. She was the
Nossa. 